Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architect aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Teoria. Thank you, Jim. For our guest today, please welcome Lynn Simon, fellow AIA and LEAD fellow. Lynn has more than 20 years' experience in the green building industry. She joined Thornton Tomasetti in 2012 after 18 years leading Simon & Associates Incorporated, a green building consulting firm she founded in 1994. Lynn is also a green building pioneer and a leading authority in the industry and has consulted on hundreds of lead projects. For more information, you can visit www.thorntomasetti.com. That's www.thorntomasetti.com. Hello, Lynn. We're honored and excited to have you on the Modern Architect radio show and podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Lynn, I'd like to start with that. What are some of your early inspirations, if you will, if you can recall, as to how you are, where you are now? If you can recall what age and how you can see how that inspired you to, to, to be and do what you do so well. Well, I think one of my inspirations was my father, who's an architect, oh, and, and he's 87. And oh, when I was growing up, we would go do field trips to places like Alvera Street, a Union Station in Los Angeles where I grew up. And those are, you know, incredible urban places as well as beautiful pieces of architecture. Mm, sure. Uh, we did some travel, and I think that those were some of my early influences. Excellent. And now how about even, even through, did you know at, at what point did you know or believe you were going to be an architect? Well, my mother says from very early on, I assessed, <laughs> I my, assessed my capabilities and <laughs> looked at you know what I was good at and what I liked to do. And I d- went to uh, architecture school as an undergrad and I knew very early it, w- it was an interest of mine. Yeah. So was it, it, was it something which is within you? Do you feel like it's a calling, I guess? Oh, I feel, I mean, it's, it's a calling, it's a hobby, it's an avocation, oh. it's a profession, it's all those things when you're an architect. And for me, it, not being a traditional practitioner, being uh-huh. a sustainability consultant, it also weaves in my love for the environment. Yeah. How did you get to that facet of it where your love of environment? I mean, obviously as a kid, we all do, but to where you said, you know what, I'm going to really make a difference in the built environment. Well, originally I thought I was interested 
in healthcare architecture, which I still Mm. think is a wonderful type of architecture, very important. And so when I went to graduate school, I started, I I worked for a firm that did healthcare architecture and my graduate thesis sort of morphed into more healthy building work. And this was quite a while ago. And today, healthy building and wellness is really the really Mm. important topic in architecture. But back then, I thought I was interested in, in healthcare and it morphed to healthy, which then morphed to green. So it was just a really lovely transition for me. And I got involved in green building very early. Yeah. So you've got hundreds and thousands of projects. Is it thousands? I, pri- I probably. <laughs> wow. What were some like some of your early your early experiences in uh, those type of projects? Since it was it was not as uh, I don't know if it's mainstream yet, but it wasn't as uh, known. Well, today there are many cities that have requirements for sustainable design and architecture and construction. So that has really helped move it forward, like the city and county of San Francisco. And for me, I started my career with healthy, with green materials and working on a project that was only focused on materials. And that was even way before the lead rating system was sort of even in the, the consciousness of architects and engineers. And so that's how I really started my career was from the materials side. But I was also one of the first, they say the first paid really? architects the first paid? for the <laughs> U.S. That. Green Building Council. Oh. And so I was one of the first employees of the U.S. Green Building Council and helped sort of create the organization. Yeah. How did that come about to where you were the first? Yeah. So my what I was doing is I was working for an architecture firm and I was on also had started the AIA Committee on the Environment for the San Francisco AIA. And the San Francisco AIA got a phone call from a gentleman named David Gottfried who started the U.S. Green Building Council. And he said, you know, well, he was interested in in learning more about my background. And then I also worked for an architect as, as a consultant. And between sort of these confluence of, of people and events, mm-hmm. got to know David. And that's how I got involved in the U.S. Green Building Council. How many how many are there now? So oh, in terms of... If you can, I mean, you don't have to have exact number, but... Employees? Yeah, uh, I mean, there, the it's, U.S. Green. it's headquartered in, in Washington, D.C., and there's probably 200 employees. Did you ever, did you foresee it? becoming what it is? You know, I'm not sure any of us saw the impact that the U.S. Green Building Council would have on the building industry at that time. We started with manufacturers, product manufacturers, architects, and engineers, and, you know, the organization has really morphed into this incredible influence in terms of how we build buildings today. Yeah. So you're seeing it, it's a requirement in the city of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Is it within every city that it's a requirement that you're aware of yet? It's not. It's not okay. a requ- not required in every city. But what's fantastic about the state of California and and the state's commitment to green building is that Cal Green was created, which is required. That's right. So it's mandatory for pretty much all buildings. There's some few exceptions, but every jurisdiction, every city in California has to meet a mandatory measures of green building. Yeah. How does it feel to know that you were at the front, that the at the, at the very front of this whole? It's a movement, is it not? Well, I'm. I'm. I like yeah. to think it's more than a movement. I think it's just the way we should be building buildings and communities. Yeah, I like that. It's the way we we ought to be. How influential are, are other states as uh, interested or curious about how how well it's gone here in California? And there's there's lots of wonderful states that have made commitments to green building. I like um, that. Oregon and Washington and and New York and Boston and Texas. There's uh, there's others as well. So it's really there. There was what I would say is a movement, and today it's becoming, frankly, the way we do business. Excellent. Was San Francisco one of the first cities? San Francisco was one of the first cities, okay. and it was certainly one of the first to have what's called a green building ordinance to help mandate how to build 
Green. Excellent. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Mondays at 6 p.m., KZSU broadcasts the Palo Alto City Council meetings live. This is your opportunity to witness government in action and gain a better understanding of local issues that could impact you. Your host, Vince Larkin, is always along for the ride to help you make sense of some of the steps in the process that you may not be familiar with. That's the Palo Alto City Council broadcast every Monday evenings at 6 p.m. on KZSU Stanford. Tom, back to you. We're talking today with Lynn Simon, F-A-I-A, I love saying those, uh, those letters, and lead fellow. Lynn has more than 20 years' experience in the green building industry and has consulted on hundreds of lead projects. For more information, feel free to visit www.thorntontomasetti.com. That's thorntontomasetti.com. Lynn, what projects are you, have you worked on currently or if you're at liberty to share with us that kind of encapsulate you know, some of the work that you do? So we're, we're fortunate uh, to do a wide variety of work, from large to small, from multifamily affordable housing to large-scale commercial. So some of the range of types of projects that we're, we're working on, one of them is in Los Angeles. It's the Wallace Annenberg Pet Space. It's this really wonderful huh. community and education center supporting pet adoption. Oh, awesome. And, <laughs> and we really focused oh, oh. on healthy materials um, on that project. Do you get to see every all the animals while you're working? <laughs> no, it's it's wonderful to know that we've we've built a space that's healthy for humans and the animals. Oh yeah, even more so for the animals. I know. So so what other like local any local projects? That Absolutely. You're, share with them, please. We want, we want to hear and love it. So I think one of my favorite clients is First Community Housing, and they're in San Jose, and we've done a whole lot of projects for them, and they're really one of the leaders in building, designing, and developing green, affordable, multifamily housing projects, and so we've done many for them. And right now we're working on a Lee Avenue project in San Jose. It's 64 units of affordable senior housing, and we're doing both energy modeling and lead consulting on that. So it's always a pleasure to work with clients that we've worked with over and over again. It's it's some of our favorite types yeah. of clients. The affordable housing is a very, obviously a big topic. You can't help but run into it, whether if you listen to the radio or television, anywhere, read the paper. I don't know if there's any solutions, but you're definitely looking to help that. Is that, is that, affordable housing project kind of set the stage or the tone for future projects? Well, this particular developer certainly sets the tone for integrating sustainable design and construction practices yeah. that we can all admire and, and learn from. Hmm. And the good news is, is that we're doing this kind of integration of sustainable strategies on all project types. We're currently working on Oceanwide Center in San Francisco, hmm. the two towers. One of them is going to be the second tallest tower in San Francisco. It's a mixed-use, complex project. And one of the really cool things about this project is they're building and designing an urban room, which is going to be for the community. Anybody, It's going to be five stories tall. It's going to be a beautiful place for people to hang out, you know, in, in downtown San Francisco. Wow. How, now, how do you find these projects or do, you, do they find you? Is it kind of both? It, it's absolutely both. Okay. So it's, for me, the most important thing are the relationships that we develop okay. over, the, over the years. And I am always encouraging my young staff to go and meet architects and engineers and developers that are the same peer group, because as they all grow in their careers, those are the types of folks they're going to want to work with. Yeah. Interesting. You say relationships in your practice, the, the mechanical and the technical facets of your practice and relationship, how much are, how much of your pra the, the practice is relationship oriented? 
If you've I, ever, I know you don't, I don't know if anyone quantifies it, but to say, you know, 50% is actually interacting with people. Oh, I think the entire career of an architect is interfacing with people, whether oh, it's your, it. yeah, whether it's yeah. your clients or whether it's your colleagues and coworkers. It's all about a collaborative, engaged, integrative process, and it's about relationships with people. And even though we're working on buildings, that it's all about uh, the dynamic amongst um, one another. Yeah. Do you have clients that have been 10, 15, 20 years? I do. I, First Community yeah. Housing is a great example of one that we've done. You know, probably I don't know eight or ten projects for them. And we, I had a, a wonderful young woman in my office today who got a note from a client who said, thank you for doing such an awesome job. Just so you know, we'll want to work with you again. Really? And that, that's just really warms my heart. Oh, yeah, it ought to. So it seems like when I was looking on, on the website, the testimonials and everything I read about, <laughs> I couldn't list them all. So I just said, what's like, what's the culture in, in your workplace that kind of lends to that sort of, uh, sort of warmth? So the, the San Francisco office for Thornton Tomasetti, um, we're about 55 people, and we are a very diverse group, both in terms of the practices and the type of work we do and also the people and cultures. And one of the things, we have been in our office space for four years now, and we designed a space with architects and, and engineers that is a completely open office. There's no private offices. And so we've tried to create collaborative workspaces for our, for our office and our coworkers so that even though they, they, they sit at a desk, they also can step aside and walk to a small conference room or a high raised desk and really work together in a collaborative way. Yeah. I have, I'm, I'm, this is going to be, this is biased. I have uh, two daughters and a son. And one of my daughters is interested in product design. And uh, she noticed when she went out to, to look at different firms that there, there was, there weren't any girl. Well, she's only 17, but she says, dad, there's no girls. <laughs> and I, and I said, well, um, then you can be the first or one of the few and then start it. Is there a, a movement to, to include more women? I know she's 17, but why not? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And she's intuitive there there. I'm often still the only woman in the room. I was in a meeting yesterday where I was the only woman in the room. So there's a lot of work being done by some wonderful groups, equity by design. That is is a national AIA program that's trying to promote more women. At Thornton Tomasetti, we have a group called Women at TT, Women at Thornton Tomasetti, where women can meet and network and share ideas and thoughts. And, so, and there's, there's, we're doing a, we have a whole inclusion and diversity program that's being um, implemented right now at Thornton Tomasetti. So yes, there's still a, a, a big shortage of women in leadership positions, and the best way to sort of move that forward is to have women help help women raise up through the ranks and then help mentor and sponsor other women. Yeah. Is that sort of a, a movement in, in the San Francisco area or you see, you're starting to see a little bit throughout the nation? You're seeing more and more of that and that's it's really important. Okay. How important or vital do you think or what it was with this? What age do you think that the, is a, a point where you can actually inspire women, anyone really, to, uh, about architecture and all the facets within architecture, maybe not architecture, but just the built environment. Is there such a thing as a, an age to say, if you get them before 10 years old or 12, that, that that's, you have a very good chance that they're going to turn into, you know, want to do this as a full-time career? Well, it's certainly never too early to encourage... I like that, never too early. Okay. Yeah, women and, and boys and girls to yeah. look at industries like architecture and engineering, the STEM industries, and to seek out teachers and colleagues and friends who are interested in science and math and art and the combination of them, because that's really what architecture is. And so, yeah, it's never too early. We have a wonderful program at Thornton Tomasetti called the ACE Mentor Program. What is it again? The ACE 
okay. mentor program okay. where we bring in high school students oh, and yes. okay. on a weekly basis and help a mentor and support them as they grow into careers in architecture and engineering. Yeah. What's that like? Well, it, it, I, you know, every week, several of the young folks in our office are involved in this, and they are equally as inspired by the young people as I think the young people are inspired by them. Oh, really? Even Absolutely. at a high school level? With Absolutely. Not, which, not, not the technical knowledge yet. Absolutely. They do site tours. They work on projects. And it's it's an incredible organization. Yeah. Is, is that on your available on your website? Can they see the ACE program? You can get information. You can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So is it the local high schools that you reach out to? It is. Okay. So San Francisco, not, like, not yet the Bay Area. Well, because yeah. we have a San Francisco office, it's where we do our San Francisco ACE mentoring program. Okay. Are there any kids in particular that you say, wow, he or she is really talented? I think... Uh, you know, I'm sure there are. I, yeah. I'm sure there are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and I, I think, as you you said earlier, that it is a, a bit of a calling. Not a bit. It is actually a calling. It is. And it, it's a love for creating something. It's a love for collaboration and innovation. And, it, you know, a career in architecture and engineering is is a really wonderful career because it's quite diverse. Yeah. I wish we were talking earlier about um, my opinion is that uh, cities can benefit greatly if the uh, architects were ran for positions of mayor or, or a high level of uh, government governance. What's your thoughts on that? There's no right or wrong answer. I just hold I hold it firm. So I put myself out there. But curious as to your uh, your thoughts on it. Well, my experience over the years is I have gotten to know a few architects who have moved into mayoral, mayoral positions, and I, I, it's a wonderful place for an architect to be. They have leadership skills. They understand community engagement and stakeholder engagement. They are obviously committed to you know, supporting urban design and community design. So it's. I think that's a great place for architects to be. Yeah, I'm just. I'm. I wonder if it's other than uh, I know locally, Liz Gibbons, mayor of Campbell, is as uh, an architect. Oh, and also, Jack Matthews in San Mateo was, I believe, one or two time mayor of the city of San Mateo. What's interesting, I, I know more about Liz than I do Jack, but there were so many awards for the city, not just the city, the structure, the built environment, but for the social aspect of all the way from from the toddlers youth to the seniors everything it affected positively all of that in the city absolutely i think architects are are trained and have an interest and commitment to thinking holistically and to thinking about big picture as well as the details and so i think that that's uh, i can imagine that that's how uh, an architect who's a mayor may look at sort of their service to the community yeah and as i was saying I'll say it first here, Lynn, that I said that architects ought to be mandatory in all facets of it. That's, that's my personal uh, mission on there. And you could, you have your own, but how is it working with uh, it's so collaborative and you have to take the, the lead on so, all the projects? How, how have you seen it change, if it's changed in the last four or five years? Well, I think that it's, it's always been a profession where, frankly, project management is a big part of it. So di- design is a part of being an architect, but project management is a significant part of being an architect because you're managing, not all the time, but you're often managing all the consultant team members, mm-hmm. landscape architects and the ME mechanical electrical plumbing engineers and, and others on the team. And so sort of 
the relationships and that dynamic between those individuals is important. And as a sustainability consultant, it's very similar where we are engaged with all these different disciplines on a daily basis. And that's what makes the job so exciting. Yeah. How about like a legislative, from a legislative perspective, do you have any influence in policy or changes in behavior when it comes to the uh, to the built environment? So there are some fantastic folks out there, architects that are really huge advocates for looking at code issues and changes to policy. We were early on, we were involved with the development of Cal Green and the lead rating system. And it's good to know that we've had a significant impact. Excellent. This is the Modern Architect radio show on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Thank you, Tom. Labiba Board interviews world-known scientists, business leaders, and other people of interest on Modern Tech News, Wednesdays from 9 until 10 a.m. on KZSU. Learn about the latest advances in health, energy, high technology, stem cell research, and more. Tune in to KZSU every Wednesday morning at 9 for fascinating conversation with today's newsmakers on Modern Tech News. Podcasts are also available at www.moderntechnews.com. We're talking today with Lynn Simon, FAIA, and lead fellow. Lynn has more than 20 years' experience in the green building industry and has consulted on hundreds of lead projects. For more information, you can visit thorntonthomasetti.com. That's thorntonthomasetti.com. Lynn, we're talking about lobbying for architects. So do they actually go to the state capitol and have a whole program that they initiate and uh, engage? Within the state of California, we have what's called the AIACC, American Institute of Architects California Council. And they're located in Sacramento, and they have folks within that organization that help advance the issues of architects. And then there are many volunteer architects that also help support making changes to uh, looking at code issues and advocacy issues. Okay. Do they take it from just their own experience or they use, you know, so maybe maybe other cities or communities or counties have things that have worked for them. Do they take it all and present it or do they deal with what is uh, the law currently? I think it's generally issue oriented. It's a very sophisticated uh, group of individuals and it's it's just important that we have a voice both at the state level and at local levels within our chapters. It's it's, um, a significant I think, way that architects can have that voice. Yeah. Is it lobby like, I'm going to use something really, like liquor, <laughs> like the, not the liquor, it, it's not the, I guess it, the beverage distribution lobby, which is enormous, even though there's only a few of them. Is it not quite to that level or no, it is? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think it's probably quite as large. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, but it's still very committed and effective group of uh, folks who advocate for architects. Yeah. What type of, what uh, is, I said, a recent project that we've done, is there any uh, projects here in the Palo Alto or the, what they call Silicon Valley now or South Bay that you've so our firm is working on a series of projects down yeah. here. Some I can't name. Yeah, you don't have to. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and others that where we're working with architects to do core and shell office buildings for all the people that are moving down into yeah. the San Jose and Palo Alto area. So we, it's again, we have a very diverse practice of architects, engineers, and scientists even that are on our staff and work on projects all over the world, frankly. Yeah, scientists, I'm interesting. How, how so, how were scientists involved? So we have a series of a group called Applied Scientists that are doing really cutting edge innovation and research on technologies. 
Oh. Are they local? Or are they, uh, we uh, do have a local group, actually. Okay. And he had a Stanford? <laughs> okay. Very close by. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No answer. She said they're close by. Yeah. So how is, uh, is working in different counties different for you? Or no, you look at each project as its own entity? Well, it's, it's certainly important to understand the, the code uh, issues relative to that community. So we have statewide laws, for instance, Title 24, which is includes energy efficiency as part of it. It's much broader than that. But then each individual county, in addition to the mandatory Cal Green requirements, sometimes create their own because they are trying to do better than the code. And okay. so, for instance, the city and county of San Francisco has stormwater requirements that are quite progressive that have to do with water reuse, uh, gray water use. Uh, we have several, pro- quite a few projects where we're collecting gray water and rainwater and reusing that water for both toilet flushing and landscape. Yes. How is the community culture? How much do you factor in the culture of a community when you're doing a project? Well, I think stakeholder engagement is part of every project. What's that called? Stakeholder engagement. engagement. Okay. So that's where, you know, folks have a voice, whether they like the project or not, or they want it in their backyard, or what's, you know, what's important to them. And so it's important. And, and it, that voice is, is very important also. So community involvement is a huge part of building, yeah. designing buildings. Is, is, that a, is, is there a department within your, uh, within your firm or, or a position within your firm that kind of spearheads that? Or no, it's a group... Well, so it really depends on the project. So I can say for me, every now and then I'm asked to go present to a a planning commission or a city council about the sustainability features of the project. The developer is interested in sharing their commitment towards sustainability. And so they ask the sustainability consultant to come and and support and tell the the, the stakeholders, what are we incorporating into that project? Yeah. So when when you have, what's the... what is kind of you said a little bit earlier, and I love I liked how you said that there's a certain feeling that you get at the at the end of a project, but I'm not sure does it ever even end because you know they may have another project for you. Is is there a feeling you kind of shoot for when you say, "Aha, look, I know we did this. We overcame a lot of challenges. We got a lot of joy out of this." Is there something that you kind of intrinsically really like to? Experience. Well, it's wonderful to see. I mean, projects take a long time to, to from beginning to end. It's not a short process. And it's wonderful to see the fulfillment of that hard work, because it is not easy getting projects built, of that hard work. And so today I went to lunch with some colleagues and I parked in a parking a building and walked out and realized this was a project we had consulted on. And it has this amazing green wall, which is a planted <laughs> wall. I know the green features of that project. So it's pretty fulfilling and gratifying to drive through communities and go look at buildings that that we have helped um, influence. Yeah. And you said that as if something else you forgot you had done that. Is that really the case? You're like, oh, well, we worked on this. Well, I've been I've been in this business a long time, and we've worked on I've worked on a lot of projects. So you know, it's not that I forget, but it's like, oh, right, this one we did 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> really, and it still has that. It resonates with you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Are there, are there any? I noticed uh, you've been to other countries as well. Is that is it kind of an exchange, or they they hire you or bring you on to look at projects they're looking at as well? Well, we're a global company, for sure. Um, We have folks all over the world who are doing incredible work at Thornton Tomasetti. Myself, personally, most of the time I've traveled for business out of the country has had to do with training and education. So I've had the opportunity to go to China and Japan and a few other places to help share what green building is and show examples of it. And so that's obviously very gratifying. Yeah. Can you share some of your examples or projects that were overseas that... uh 
some of the joys and challenges? Well, so for me, it's, it's, I mean, we, we, again, we have projects all over the world, but for me personally, it's my work overseas has really been about the education and training. And so that hopefully what I'm doing is influencing other architects and engineers to go and build sustainably. Yeah. Is there a big difference between architects here in the States and those in other countries as far as maybe even their mindset or uh, experiences? So some countries are more advanced from a sustainability perspective and other countries are less advanced. And it's really important to understand that the culture and the building technologies and the systems that are available in those countries, it's not just, there's not a one size fits all. Yeah, it's just very important to know where you're going to be building a project and understand who the people are in the culture. Yeah, do you learn the language a bit? <laughs> While you're there? Not so much. <laughs> oh, really? So you have an interpreter if you need. I have had I have done workshops where I had an uh, interpreter in China, and our slides were also in, translated into Chinese. Oh, yeah. How was that? It was yeah. it was great fun. It was a great audience. There were lots of people. I've done it. I've done it a couple times now, and China is you know obviously huge growth in China, and there's quite a few green buildings in China. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. All over the world, there's green buildings all over the world. It's it's pretty fantastic what has happened in this industry in the last 20 years. So there's green buildings around the world, and there's becoming more green buildings. Can how how much do you see renovations with existing buildings to turn them green? So probably the greenest building that you can work on is an existing building. You've got a, a, a building in place, you have materials in place, and it has a, a more a less, less of an impact when the building is already existing. So when you can do renovations, and Thornton Tomasetti does a lot of renovation work, renewal work, and I think it's some of the, the greenest buildings you can work on are existing buildings. Yeah. We've had a chance to do work on the City Hall of San Francisco and helped make it a LEED Platinum certification. That was City Hall. That you know, Obviously, that's an iconic building, certainly, I think, all over the world. And we have a series of other existing building projects we've worked on. And those, those are all, always very gratifying because you're really looking at the operational energy use of those buildings. And if you can fine-tune all these existing buildings, then we would have a lot less energy consumption. Yeah. How do you in, in, inform every business building owner? Uh, I'm really, I'm going to reach here, but is there a way to educate every building owner to know that they their buildings can be much greener, more efficient, just just better? Is there a, is, is that too much? Well, the code helps. Cal Green okay. helps because, again, it's sort of, a, you know, base green, light green, fundamental green things, strategies in terms of energy, indoor air quality, low emitting materials that all projects have to do today in, ca- in California. So that's a really great baseline. So our code minimum is a darker green building than many other places where they're not, they don't mandate at all. So we're mandated to reach a certain threshold of green in our yeah. state. Can they, can, so they can't be, uh, you can't demand of them to do it. Well, no, it's mandated. Uh, It is required. Okay. It is required. Fundamental green integration is required on projects in California. Okay. Is that renovation or even It's new construction and renovation. Okay. New construction. But to get a building that's not looking to do either, to just at least educate them. Well, when anybody does any work on a building of a certain square footage, they then have to incorporate certain green strategies. So it's a great place to be a sustainability consultant in the state of California. Oh, yeah. That's, it's never going to end. Well, there's just so many incredible experts here, and there's an interest in the, in the area. We don't have to sort of – and again, this is not everywhere, but on many projects, we don't have to sort of convince the client to yeah. uh, integrate sustainable 
uh, concepts because it's just part of the way we do business today. Yeah. Are some, do you have a percentage of clients that are government and then private? Yeah, well, I think we have a, a pretty good mix of, in, in our company and all the, and throughout the you know, throughout the world where we work on both the public and private sector. Uh-huh. You know, we we and the thing that's really incredible about the work we do at Thorne Tomasetti is that we look at trying to optimize you know the performance of structures, the materials, the systems of every size and every level of complexity, and it's. It's exciting to be part of a company that enables us to look at, you know, the facade, the existing building issues, systems, re- like I said, renewal, existing building work. It's, it's quite diverse, the work that we do, and that's what makes it very exciting. We call it cross-practice work. Say that again? Cross-practice Cross-practice work. work. So okay. that means that we have different practices that work together on projects. Oh, okay. Is that something that's relatively new, or no, you've had this in place for... Well, the, the company has, has diversified over the last few years years from primarily a structures engineering firm mm-hmm. to a much more diversified group of practices. And so we have over 10 practices now within the company. And like I said, whether it's structures or facade design, or we have an existing buildings group, sustainability, and we are doing many, many more projects where we have multiple practices on those projects. Yeah. How do you recruit for uh, people to work for Thornton Tomasetti, or do you have them, you grow them from organically? How, how do you... Well, I'm a, so I'm a big fan of interns, having interns, and okay. we've had many over the years. I love having interns because, one, I, you know, it's important to support young people. And then if we can hire them, it's even better because they know the organization. They understand we've, we've basically been training them. So that has happened in our group multiple times and in our office where interns come on board and then we actually hire them to stay with the company. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is that's part of a practice then of your. Yeah. It, it it is. Yeah. I think it's really important. Yeah. What's, what's the culture like, Lynn, in, in, in a, a Thornton Tomasetti? Is it? It sounds like because you're very light, but you know, sharp and professionals. Is it? Is it kind of the same way within the company? Yeah. If you could, if you could kind of put a finger on it, you just take a guess. You know, what's the culture like there? If, to uh, kind of breathe this so, so forward. The company is, I, I, I think it's really diverse, and I think that's really important in terms of the type of work we do, from simple projects to more complex projects, from new construction to existing buildings. So I think that's really exciting about the work we do at Thornton Tomasetti. For me, it's a lot about innovation and innovation. the interest in innovation. Okay. We're committed to being a sustainable, enduring, and an, and an enduring organization and be a driver of innovation in our industry. And I think that that's one of the, I would say, how wonderful descriptors of Thornton Tomasetti. Excellent. How, what's your experience stepping outside that of just even innovation within the field of architecture? It's, it's, I think it's natural, but not every company is that curious. Have you experienced the same thing? Or is it just everyone getting up to speed? I think it's being curious about what's what's new. I think it's about research and development. We have an R&D arm of Thornton Tomasetti. As I said, we have scientists on board. and And the company supports innovation, and that is not at every company. And I think that's something that... No, it's not. And it was kind of a baited question. Sorry. Lynn. <laughs> it's <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I knew you were. You, you, it is where you are, but it's not in general. It's not everywhere. Yeah. And I think that it's an investment. And so if the, you know, the, the idea is that you, you, you take your profits and you reinvest it in R&D work and innovation, and that's how we can advance the industry. Yeah. Speaking of that advancing in the in- industry, do you find yourself sometimes even ahead of local or city or county governance just, just by your practice? 
what I mean ahead is that there's there's laws and rules and regulations, but you're like, oh no, watch this, how green we're going to make this one. Well, so we yeah. try and you know we we try to do more than just meet code, and so we especially in the last few years we've been really committed to uh, reusing water and reducing our non-potable water consumption. And so we've been, I think, really effective in working with our clients to push them beyond code and say, look, really important to look at water issues. Of course, we've been in a drought until last year for four years. This year is not going to be a good year. And any way that we can, you know, why are we flushing our toilets with potable water? It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And so the good news is, is that on on projects we work on, we're now able to look at gray water systems and rainwater harvesting, harvesting systems. And that's very gratifying. Yeah. Let's touch back on that when we return. This is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, KZSU 90.1 FM, Stanford. Lubiba Board interviews world-renowned scientists and business leaders and other people of interest on Modern Tech News, Wednesdays from 9 until 10 a.m. on KZSU. Learn about the latest advances in health, energy, high technology, stem cell research, and more. Tune in to KZSU every Wednesday morning at 9 for fascinating conversation with today's newsmakers on Modern Tech News. Podcasts are also available at www.moderntechnews.com. Tom? Thank you. Thank you very much. We're talking today with Lynn Simon, FAIA. I love saying that. I know I said it before. I'm going to say it again. FAIA and lead fellow. Lynn has more than 20 years' experience in the green building industry and has really consulted on hundreds of lead projects and probably hundreds more. For more information, you can visit thorntonthomasetti.com. That's thorntonthomasetti.com. Lynn, I liked how you said beyond code. Describe a little bit more about uh, how you how you work beyond code. So there are codes, uh, Cal Green, I believe, mandates 20% better than the Title 24, which is a code. And we'll say to our clients, you know what, we would like to do better than code. Let's look at some of the things that we can um, incorporate in the project, uh, whether it's better daylighting or sensors in the building. How do you capture daylight so that you are creating spaces that aren't just meeting the code, but they're enhancing the quality of that space for the people that live and work in those spaces. Yeah, and that goes to the, the gray waters and other subjects. I'm curious, really love to hear how, what's your take on so, that? So, you know, up to four or five years ago, there were very little, was very little guidance on incorporating gray or black water systems in projects. And so we have the opportunity to work on the Trans Bay Transit Center and also 525 Golden Gate, which is the SFPUSD headquarters. And both of those projects have been models of reducing the use of potable water consumption. And now, as a result, of the work of many, many people over the years, there is now guidelines on and requirements for reducing, collecting stormwater and rainwater and reusing it in buildings. That's not typical in most places. We probably have now a dozen or so projects that are collecting the gray water. And gray water is water from sinks and showers. And then you collect that water and you filter it, and then you can reuse that for toilet flushing and uh, landscaping. Yeah. Is it mandated now? It, in, it, in, for certain size projects in the city and county of San Francisco, it is mandated, and okay. there are other municipalities that also mandate have certain thresholds. Yeah. How else do you get the do you get that that knowledge out there that the, this is not just an option, but it it's just kind of smart. 
It's it's super smart. I mean, yeah. if you look at, we do a lot of present presentations and, and teaching. And if you look at, you know, maps of California, again, up until last year, that the four years prior to that, the snowpack, which is really critical in terms of our water and the availability of water, is just entirely different. It's just low. There's just mm-hmm. not enough snowpack. And so that affects, you know, there's still drought restrictions despite last year's rain in several communities in California, including Santa Barbara and I think San Diego. And so that affects all of our lives when we, you know, aren't going to be able to, you know, have have the access to the water that we are used to and comfortable with. We have to change the way we think about water. And fundamentally, that should start with toilet flushing. Yeah. When you say drought restrictions, what if you always had that sort of mindset, even if it just you knew it was going to rain for the next 20 years? Would that be helpful? That that would be incredibly helpful. Uh, Yeah. We shouldn't be using water for sources that aren't relevant yeah. that, 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 that there are other options yeah are there other 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 um natural resources that are <laughs> just that could be used smarter in a built environment or in, well the, in the building? sunlight's a great example yeah, I, I mean i love that sunlight yeah i mean yeah. photo you know there's using photovoltaics to harness okay. energy make electricity is really important and any way you can reduce the l- electric lighting loads and harness natural daylight there are other issues of comfort and glare that have to be considered, but doing those sorts of things really can help en- enhance the quality of that workspace for for people who live and work in those spaces. It can help reduce your utility bills. It's sort of a win-win, but it's not something that is just done automatically. It has to be considered and designed. Modeling has to be done and understand the implications of how to harness a daylight. Yeah. And with LEDs becoming so much more prevalent than they were a couple of years ago, what's your experience with them, especially, uh, um, you know, on, on a retrofit? Well, they're becoming mandated, yeah. frankly. Most, even our, our uh, I mentioned First Community Housing, on their projects, they're putting in all LED. And those are multifamily affordable housing. So, frankly, if they can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> I like that. So, that, taking that thought is if they can do it, anyone can do it. Is there any other outreach that you do, not just with your existing clients or your clientele, that just so that you know, the general public or building owners know what it is that you can do, even if they don't hire you, but that at least they're more aware or better aware of what they can do to, you know, um, make things much more sustainable. So one of the things that I, a great example is Thornton Tomasetti has a requirement that any new offices have to be LEED Gold certified. Okay. In the San Francisco office, when we designed and moved in four years ago, we made a commitment to be LEED V4 Platinum, and we were the first LEED V4 Platinum commercial interiors project in the United States. And for us, that was very gratifying. It was quite a long haul to, to achieve that certification. But one of the things we do is a quarterly, we host our artwork, artwork and network parties, huh. where we invite colleagues and friends to come and see a local artist in our space in San Francisco. We had one two weeks ago. It was fantastic. We had, uh, I don't know, 120 or 30 people there. And they're in our space. They're in our green space. They get to see what we've done. Mm-hmm. We get to support a local artist. Usually they're, often they have been architects and engineers. And I think that's a great way to share to others in our community about uh, our commitment to really helping support and optimize the built environment. Yeah. What were some of the, if you can recall some of the 
some of the feelings or takes of the people attending. Everybody has a really great time. Yeah. We actually get to have the, arc, the artist gets to talk, talks for a few minutes about their work and why it's important to them. People are interested in it. Part of our, our building uh, at 650 California is incredible views, which frankly is about health and wellness. People love coming up there and seeing sort of the beautiful views, the beautiful office, the great food great drink and really help support folks in our community. Yeah. I wanted to see, hear your take on this, Lynn. It's from uh, Renzo Piano. Is one of the great beauties of architecture is that each time it is like life starting all over again. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, it's, uh, it's lovely. I think that w- architecture helps support health and wellness of those who live and work in those places. And architecture can impact how we raise our families and how we innovate as designers and architects and engineers. I've heard stories about when buildings are a place that help nurture and support others, people do better work. And so, and you look at places where they're small, dark cubicles with no windows, you know, that's just... Other than our studio. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a very unhappy, not a very nurturing place or creative place to be. So architecture has a huge impact on how we live our lives. Yeah. And what what type of advice would you give or offer to an aspiring architect? I would say find a mentor and work with that mentor and learn from that mentor. In fact, you can learn from each other create a relationship with somebody that you trust and value and that can and you can help even as as more seasoned professionals we can be inspired and nurtured by younger folks and i think that kind of dynamic relationship is really important for the growth of a young professional in the AEC industries excellent lynn it's been a pleasure and an honor having you as our guest today thank you very much thank you we hope you consider coming back again very soon it's appreciate a, it it's been uh, it's been fantastic you've been listening to the modern architect i'm tom dioro our guest today has been lynn simon fellows aia and lead fellow lynn has more than 20 years experience in the green building industry she joined thornton tomasetti in 2012 after 18 years leading simon and associates incorporated a green building consulting firm she founded in 1994 lynn is also a green building pioneer and a leading authority in the industry and has consulted on hundreds of lead projects. For more information, you're welcome to visit www.thorntomasetti.com. That's www.thorntomasetti.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, and civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California. It is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer and production manager is Jim Mason, chief engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Caleb B. Smith. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Diorio. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. 
Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect.